This is Linda O'Brien. Thanks for joining us on the podcast series for Women Vision SC, a production of South Carolina Public Radio. This season, you'll hear from 11 women across the state. They were nominated by our listeners. This week, we talk with Pastor Nanny Jeffries, pastor of Maranatha Free Church of Jesus Christ and heading up Angels Charge Ministry. Welcome, Pastor Nanny Jeffries. Thank you. How would you define your overriding life vision and how that's translated into success for your career? Wow. My overriding life vision, I would say, is having mercy for people, caring for people. I feel as if I'm okay, everybody else should be okay too. If my needs are met, I want others' needs to be met. So I I just want to be able to fill in the gap when a person has a need. And I think that has led me to do what I'm doing now. And what was a turning point in your life that most contributed to your career and your success? Oh, gosh. The turning point in my life, I would say, would be accepting a call to ministry. At first, I thought I was just going to teach because my call was quite simple. I didn't have a Thunderbolt experience. It was simply go and learn of me and teach my people the truth. So I went to seminary, and when I was in seminary, I fell in love with church history. Just love it, to just see how we have evolved over the years. And from there, it was just off to the races, to work in church and to do full-time ministry. Didn't want a pastor, but the door opened, and um, I accepted the invitation. So you're doing pastor work, but also community work. Oh, they go hand in hand. It's about service. To me, ministry is service. To me, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So if we're not serving others, to me, we're not doing ministry. So when I decided to become a full-time pastor, I wanted to have a church that was open every day so that people can come in and they could pray or they could eat or whatever, but providing service. What or who gives you the most inspiration? So many people. First, I would say my mom, she's 91. She'll be 92 in January. And she was a very strong lady. She raised six children alone, five boys and myself after a divorce. And, uh, you know, being the only girl of five boys, people would think that I was spoiled or I was a little princess. I was never a little princess. You know, my brothers would say, stop acting like a girl. And I would say, but I am a girl. It made me strong. It made me not be a quitter. It made me go after things that I wanted to go after, not to be embarrassed or shy. So it gave me a lot of strength. You know, and my brothers talked to me. My oldest brother, who was an artist, uh, he's deceased. You know, he would talk to me about everything because my dad wasn't there. And he just told me, he said, just because you're a girl doesn't mean that you can't climb that tree. Climb it if you want. You want to ride that horse, ride the horse. So, so it really built that confidence. Yes, it did. Not a princess by any means. Do you, go, do you think back on those, those years? A lot. I had um, one of my brothers, every time I would get a baby doll, he would uh, just disconnect it. He would take it apart. And then he would say, you know, if you're going to be a doctor, which I never wanted to be, you need to put this doll back together. And I'm going, why? You took it apart. You know, (laughs) they would do things like that just to, I think, push me to be able to take care of myself. And they were protective, too. But they were protective in such a way that I'm standing back here and I'm observing you at a distance. So if you really need my help, I'm going to come in. But we want you to try. Were they older, younger, or in between? I am in the middle. In the middle. I have three that are older and two that are younger, but they all think that they're my dad. They all wanted to fill that void. So 
it's kind of funny sometimes. Very loving though. You mentioned your mother as a big influence in your life. Did she give you advice that you're using today? Absolutely. What advice? Faith. She told me to always have faith, not to be a quitter. Even if you, you fail the first time, continue to try. My mom, after she and my dad were divorced, her family wanted to come in and take us. You know, they want to divide us up, but you can't take care of all these children because my mom didn't work. My dad was the sole provider. My mom got a job at one of the mills and she said, if you set your mind to it, you can do it. She was a strong advocate for education. All of us have college degrees. Some have masters because she was a force for education. What would your advice be for young people today? Read. I want children to read and to love reading and to explore reading and to travel in reading. I just think that reading just broadens their horizon so much. Right now in our society, we have an after-school program at our church in Maranatha, and the children would prefer to play games than to play with each other, but they're in the same room with each other. So, you know, they don't communicate with each other and they don't like reading. So I just want them to read. And what is your hope for South Carolina? Oh gosh, in regard to the work that I do in the community and as a pastor, I would like to see South Carolina go back and advocate more for the people that are in poverty and downtrodden. I don't expect the government to take care of people. I think the government should help us, educate us, so people can take care of themselves. I, I, I think South Carolina, we need to really move forward in our educational system. Education should be important. I think it's our ticket out of poverty. How have you seen, from your own experiences, the role of women change? You know, the role of women have always been there, but it was in the background. It was like, you know, a successful man, there's always a, a good woman behind him. And I believe that to be true, I, because I think that the women are there encouraging, they're there picking up the pieces. But right now in our present time, women, and I'm not a Me Too person, but women are stepping out and they are having their own voice. Uh, I think they've been doing it for a while, but we, it was kept silently. Well, now we are just speaking out. I think that women in Spartanburg County alone, as well as the state, they are an amazing asset because we, we don't give up. We just, the drive, the, the nurturing ability that is naturally in us just compels us to move forward. You say you're not a Me Too person, but what has that movement done in terms of gender issues? I think it has brought a lot of information to the forefront. I think it has shown us that women, how fearful they have been in the past, how they were afraid to speak up. I, I think that there's been a lot of damage that has not been even remotely mentioned. I think that abuse is really ranked high and the levels of it, we haven't even began to reach the surface of the levels of abuse that women have always had happen to them and are still presently having it happen to them. But when you say you're not a Me Too person, what do you mean by that? I, I don't advocate for a particular issue. I advocate for what is right. And, and to me, right is holy and it's being merciful. I think forgiveness is something that we all have to be able to do. And, and when we fail to do that, that sets us back. One of the issues women deal with, especially those with a rigorous career, is work-life balance. How do you handle that? Ooh, that's a hard question. And it's very difficult. 
it is so difficult to balance that. You know, I have a husband. I've been married for 46 years. We have two adult daughters. We have two grandchildren. And my husband has to remind me sometimes that I'm at home. Are you coming? You know, but I've been blessed to have a husband that understands that there is a need for me to be a giver and to help people. I do have to step back sometimes and just say, you know, I need to hang out with my girls or my grandchildren. I need to hang out with my husband. So that is something that I am mindful of, but it takes work. Sometimes I write it on my calendar. I literally write it down. Spend time with my family, my husband. Yeah, my mom, my brothers. I write it down. That's great. You've worked for a number of nonprofits, and then you founded Angels Charge Ministry. How did that idea come about, and why? Why now? As a pastor, I was going to the jails just to encourage and pray for my members or some of my members' children. And while I was there, there was such a feeling of despair and, and lack of hope. And I saw so many females and I started asking questions. So what are you gonna do when you leave here? And you know, they they going back to the same situation, playing in the same playground. So I, I thought about it, I prayed about it, and then I tried to get into the jail to just come talk to a group of women, not to preach, just to find out, well, since we have such a high rate of recidivism, what would it take to stop that, to decrease that? Well, the officials at the detention center had me write a curriculum, which I did. Actually, I think they thought it was going to deter me, but I'm determined. And uh, I wrote the curriculum. I submitted it to them in two weeks, and they accepted me. I met all of the regulations and requirements to be a volunteer, so I started going into the jail once a week. And I would go in and I would ask the question, what would it take for you not to return to jail? And what did you hear? I heard, I need a place to live. I need support. I need direction. I need an action plan for my life because I don't know where I'm going. I, I need to be reconciled with my family. There were so many factors involved because typically when a woman is released from incarceration, she is getting back on the street and she probably doesn't know where she's going. If she is engaged in a relationship that's abusive, she's going back to domestic violence. If she's used to doing prostitution because she lives on the street, she's going back to prostitution. If she's in active addiction, she's going to go back and try to find that first hit. So after going there probably for about six months, I was praying out loud at the jail and I said, Lord, these ladies need somewhere to go with love and affection and you need to make it happen, Lord. And he did. He did. And what is the result? The result is we have an 87% success rate of ladies not returning to jail. How many women? Oh, wow. Right now we have three houses. We're able to house six in this particular house that we're in. We're able to house five, and then we're able to house six in another house. Actually, Spomberg County needs 10 houses, according to the chaplain at the Spomberg County Detention Center. Our vision is to have seven with Angel's Charge. At the time that you started Angel's Charge, Spartanburg County ranked number one for female incarcerated. That's correct. That's correct. And there were no transitional homes in Spartanburg for women. There were several for men, but there was nothing for women. So yes, Spartanburg County was ranked number one in the state for reincarceration and seventh in the nation. Seventh, South Carolina, seventh in the nation. Right now in the state, Spartanburg, we are number two, so we're we're going down, and I, I, I give all of that to Angel's Charge because we are keeping ladies out of jail. They're not returning to jail. How do you keep them out of jail? You meet their needs. 
we do an assessment when they come into the program and uh, we meet them where they are. If they need some time to disengage, for 30 days when they first come into the program, they don't talk to family, friends, children, none of that. They need to, for 30 days, focus on themselves. We do an assessment. We work up an action plan. And if you can't do that, if, if your concern is, well, I need to get to my children, well, you weren't with your children in incarceration. We want to keep you out and with your children for the long haul. So what, what is the thinking behind that, that they need to make a complete adjustment? They need to be committed. They need to be totally committed to restoring themselves and being able to love. One of the key factors that I found that ladies return is that they devalue themselves, they don't love themselves, so they will just do, they take charges for people they didn't have, the ladies didn't commit to crime, but they'll take a charge for their husband or their, their boyfriend. No, you've got to love yourself, and you have to be accountable for you first. Who was your favorite teacher and why? I would probably say when I was in high school, it was Patricia Nichols. I was not very good in math and algebra, and she was patient and kind with me. And right now, she's a tutor at our after-school program in math for our students. Uh, when I was in seminary, my favorite teacher was Dr. McCowan because he was so honest and he loved church history and he taught me well. And those experiences then? They've just projected me, I think, into the person that I am today, the work that I'm doing presently. What advice would you have for someone who is interested in doing what you do? Make sure you want to do it. It's not an easy job. You see a lot of hurt. You see a lot of pain. Be able to know when to pull back and say, I need to pour into me to refuel, sort of, because you are emptying yourself out so much with other people's issues. I would also encourage them to have a support system, gather a support system, and through our church, I was able to do that, and through members in this community who did not know that this was a problem or an issue, they just surrounded me and gave me tons of support. Know the facts, go online, do the research, find out if this is something that your community needs. When I found out that we did not have a transitional program in Spartanburg County, my question was, why not? Let's make it happen. What is the biggest challenge that you face now? Finances, finances. To operate a house is costly. We're talking about $68 a day. And uh, for each $68 per, per person. person. And we're talking about the prison, I think it's about $50, $53, a day to house one inmate. But when the ladies are with us, they're actively seeking employment. So they are back in the workforce, contributing back to their community. Hopefully in 12 to 18 months, they've transitioned out on their own. They've gotten their children out of foster care. They have custody of their children. And um, that is a decrease from the budget for the community as well. Angels Charge Ministry helping these women rise up to learn how to re-enter society successfully is a major gain for the community and the state. Major. And speaking of the state, South Carolina, where do you see this state going and how would you like to see it get there? I think we're shifting a little bit in a positive mode to hear advocacy. If we can work with legislature, there's now a task force that's being established. We had a forum on recidivism. What would it take to decrease in Spartanburg? And we're putting together a task force to see what is it that we need to do to get legislature involved, attorney general's office involved. Some of these people are in jail now need to be in jail. They need to be rehabbed and they need to give them work skills. 
Because if you've been using drugs since you were 13, you've never had a job other than prostitution or dancing on a pole, you need to rehabilitate them, teach them how to do a job, show them how to do a budget, how to pay their bills and live. And South Carolina is now listening, I think. What percentage would you say can be rehabilitated, the prison population? From what we've seen, and I've also gone around and I did some research with some male programs as well as female programs that typically are faith-based, it is about 85% that can be rehabilitated. And sometimes that may take for a person that's in recovery addiction that may have a relapse, they may relapse three times. Typically that third time, they're good. Thank you very much, Pastor Nanny Jeffries. Thank you. It is my pleasure to, to share and uplift the community in which I live and want to reach out and help people live. You've been listening to Women Vision SC, a production of South Carolina Public Radio. You can find video stories and other resources on Know It All and SCETV.org. Subscribe to this podcast on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org, or wherever you find podcasts to hear the rest of stories from this season. The producer of Women Vision SC for South Carolina Public Radio and the podcast series is A.T. Shire. William Richardson is the producer-director of the television series. Zhao Yu is associate producer. Tyora Moody is web manager. Special thanks to Bobby Kennedy, director of special projects. For SCETV and South Carolina Public Radio, I'm Linda O'Brien. Thanks for joining us.